You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Good morning, church. And happy Mother's Day. I just have to echo Joe's words. We do honor you. We celebrate you, mothers, in this place. Um, there's actually a theme in my heart. It's not going to be my main message, but I do believe that moms carry certain attributes of the heart of God that we so desperately need. And, and we, so as, as a church body, we need godly mothers. I'm so thankful for the, for the women of LifePoint that carry those attributes of loving kindness and, and patience and comfort. Uh, the, the mercy of God is revealed through our mothers. And so we're so thankful for who you are and what you give to our church and our city and our families, we're so grateful for you. So we, I just pray, I mean, I've been praying that all week, that the mothers that, that come here this Sunday would just leave this place feeling so blessed, so full, so thankful to God for the roles that they, they play in our lives. Hopefully you leave with a full heart. You have a message on my heart this morning. Uh, the title of my message is The Unstoppable Church. The Unstoppable Church. Jesus' Church is an unstoppable church. Nothing can hold back God's plan of redemption for his glory through the church. You know, and even in, in light of uh, Mother's Day, I've been recalling my, my own life story, my own heritage, and I was blessed with two moms. So I, uh, my biological mom, her life was cut short, but my, even my spiritual heritage uh, through my biological mom, I, I, can't, uh, I can't leave my just gratitude for, for my mom's story, my mom. I grew up in generations of alcoholism, and her, her dad was a, an abusive alcoholic. There's one moment where my mom came into the kitchen, and her dad was shouting and holding a gun to her mom's head. And that was the atmosphere that my mom grew up in until she encountered Christ. And my mom encountered Christ and ended up leading both of her parents to the Lord. So her dad died, a sober man of God who loved Jesus. Um, she ended up leading her, her parents to Christ, her sister to Christ, ended up leading her high school sweetheart to the Lord, who is my father. And so, uh, although her life was cut short when I was seven years old, I'm so grateful for the spiritual heritage I have in my biological mom. I just have to honor her. And on top of that, my spiritual heritage I have from my, my stepmom is my dad ended up marrying a couple of years later to an amazing woman of God who also has a story of just uh, resilience and strength and perseverance through uh, against all odds, and so I'm so thankful for my both my moms. I'm double blessed, and um, God has God has a way of turning around what the enemy intended for harm, the enemy intended for um, affliction. God has a way of redeeming that for His glory, and that, my, my life is a testament of that. So praise God for moms. Praise God for moms. God is raising up an unstoppable church, despite what you've heard in the news, despite what you may have experienced in your past. God is raising up an unstoppable force, which is the Church of Jesus Christ. And as you, if you've been around uh, here at all uh, in my time here, I always like to start off any message by praying over our time in the Word. Because here's the deal: this is not a textbook. This is not like any other book on your bookshelves. Although it is the number one bestseller year after year after year, you know the most widely acclaimed, widely read book on the planet. It is not like any other book on the planet. It is living and active. And it's, it's meant to be not just mentally comprehended, but absorbed into our heart and our soul. And that's why I always open up my messages with prayer, because I feel like we just need grace from heaven 
to be able to receive and to have the capacity for our hearts to, to comprehend on a heart level. So would you just stand in this place? I'm going to pray a prayer, a special prayer this morning. A special prayer from Ephesians chapter 3. This is the prayer of Apostle Paul himself. You can follow along on the screen. You can receive from the Lord with your hands like this. You can lift up your hands. I just want us to pray this over this moment in the word the words of the Apostle Paul, because he's not praying a prayer over the church that, Lord, I just pray they make it. I pray they survive. (laughs) He's not praying that type of prayer. He's praying for the fullness of the kingdom of God, hearts full, full of strength, full of vigor for the mission ahead. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You would have strength in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He doesn't say, just give them enough to make it through the next week. Fill them with all the fullness of God. You be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Even beyond what you can comprehend intellectually, he says that they would know it. So now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can we say that together? Amen. Praise the Lord. He says through the church, he will receive glory. There's an unstoppable church that God is raising up. And he's going to receive glory through us. You can go ahead and find your seat. Probably didn't go far. It's probably right behind you. So (laughs) just sit straight back. God is raising up an an unstoppable church. And my prayer this morning for us is that God would, would just help us reorient our perspective on our circumstances. Too often we become convinced of some other narrative. We become convinced that we are victims to our circumstances. Woe is me for the situations that I find myself in. And we look at these obstacles, these hurdles before us. We forget who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. He will receive glory through us. We are an unstoppable force for the kingdom and the glory of God. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 16. We're going to continue our journey, our quick sprint through the book of Acts. We are not giving it justice. 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Um, 28 chapters of the book of Acts. We are, we're just cruising through. But here we are 20 years into the, the, the early church, around the, the year 50 AD here in Acts chapter 16. This is the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. And we're going to jump into this story. Here's the main idea for this morning. The Jesus Church is an unstoppable church, leading, persevering, and innovating into new territories. That is the church of Jesus Christ, the Jesus Church. We're leading, not necessarily from position or title, but because of our identity from God, from heaven, from the kingdom of God, we lead. We're people of influence. Jesus called us to be salt and light. Not to be influenced, but to be influenced, whatever the context is. You don't have to wait around to lead. You don't have to wait for someone to knight you or tell you you're in a position. You can lead because of who you are in Jesus as part of the church of Jesus. You can lead. 
We're called to persevere, and we are going to be this unstoppable church by persevering. Because here's the thing, we are in the midst of a battle, so there will be obstacles. And as the church of Jesus, we're called to persevere through it for God's glory. And thirdly, we're called to innovate. So many of the greatest breakthroughs of humankind have come to the church of Jesus. And God gives us a capacity to see things from a different perspective, to see things from a different angle. The world can't see through a different lens, the eyes of faith. And so it's that spirit of creativity, that spirit of innovation to see things differently that God is placing upon us as the Jesus church. We're going to see that just bursting out of this story in Acts chapter 16. So hold on to your seats here. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. I'm going to stop right there for a moment and just... Um, Revel in the picture of the leadership of the church here in this place. Not by position or title, but because who they are. And the way in which they lead is profound, and I want us to capture that before we move on. The church of Jesus Christ was led, as you see, through prayer. Prayer was their method of empowerment and strength. Prayer was not an afterthought. Prayer was not like... One of the many things they do, prayer was one of the main ways through which they knew God was going to move in their hour, in their life. And so Luke, throughout much of the, the book of Acts, constantly says, from the place of prayer, in the place of prayer, the, the believers were gathered in prayer daily, from home to home. And here it's almost in passing. Yes, of course, they were going to the place of prayer. They were followed by this slave girl who was, who was uh, possessed by the spirit of divination, this, this demonic spirit. But, the, but prayer was the, the, the way through which God moved in the early church, in the Jesus church. And for this unstoppable church which God is calling us to be, prayer is the way. So the, the Jesus church leads through prayer and God-given authority. I have a deep conviction in my heart that God's raising us up as a church of prayer. We have all this busyness that vies for our attention but every time we bow our knee to busyness, what we're communicating, what we're demonstrating is that we don't trust God, that we have to take things into our own hands, that we have to be in control of our lives and, and the things that, that are coming next. Prayer is this great demonstration before the Lord Almighty, God Almighty, that he is in control, that he can move on our behalf, that he can do things that we can never do. That he is the God of the impossible. It's through prayer. I have this deep conviction in my heart that God is raising us up to be people of prayer. And that's prayer of faith. I want you to, to separate that from prayers, these uh, obligatory, uh, punch-in-the-clock type prayer. It's not that at all. When we're compelled in faith to grab a hold of the garment of God Almighty and say, God, would you move on our behalf, something takes place. And the early church knew that. For them, it wasn't a matter of obligation. They had learned to pray from Jesus himself, who said, pray, pray this way. Your will on earth as it is in heaven. We're just trying to get, get a glimpse of, of God's will on earth as it is in heaven. 
to have faith to believe that God would, would move in that way, bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. God's calling us to that. I, was, I began to be convinced of that in my college years as I was studying engineering at North Dakota State. And a man of God who told a group of us students that if we, if we prayed for 30 days straight, for an hour in the spirit for 30 days straight, he said our lives would never be changed. Or, or sorry, our lives would never be the same. Our lives would never be changed. My life was changed. Our life would never be the same. And there was a few of us that took him up on this challenge. And I was, I was one of them. And there was something that took place over the, those 30 days and beyond. And I can attest to you that I have never been the same. Something came alive in my heart. It's not that I had never prayed before, but I had never prayed like that before. I had never, I had never slowed myself to that place of prayer. Where, God, where I began to see that God could accomplish way more than I could in all my running to and fro. And something began to be birthed in me as a college student. And, and out of that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of students began to come to know Christ through that campus ministry. At the time, we were 30, 40 students meeting in this small room in the MU. My senior year when I left, we were packing out a, a, a theater at, uh, right in the heart of campus. As God was just moving. Nothing had changed in leadership. It was God grabbing a hold of the hearts of some students. It began to getting catalyzed in prayer. And something began to, began to get sparked. And, and that's my heart, is that we realize, as the church of Jesus Christ, we don't bow our knee to the methods of this world. Instead, there's been a clear picture laid out for us in Scripture. The early church, the Jesus church, they prayed. They knew how to pray in faith. And all that we would just believe, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. What if we believe that? Just what if? What if we began to believe that that was an invitation for us, us to ask, actually ask? And to seek, and to knock. What if we actually believed, Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. The enemy, I believe, has just been placing a veil over the church's eyes, blinding us to the power that's right before us in prayer. Constant. I know it, I'm just like you all. When I get to the place of prayer, what floods my mind, all the things I got to do, right? All the things I could be spending my time doing instead of that moment in prayer. It's because the enemy wants to keep us from that, that type of breakthrough prayer. And it's not about the time. It's not even about the amount of time you spend. I even think about that in my story uh, my own personal story, when that man of God stood before us, he was a retreat speaker, when he stood before us and challenged us in that way, 30 days straight for, for an hour a day, for 30 days straight, there was nothing magical, that was not a magical formula brought out from scripture or something. I think there was just something significant about sustaining a pattern over a, a prolonged period of time. And then an hour is way longer than many of us are able to stay in one place and slow our minds down to actually connect in faith with God. And something happened as a bunch of humble college students grabbed the hold of the heart of God in prayer. And that's available for us. So I have a challenge for you this week. What if you began to lead in prayer over the issues that you're facing? Issues at work, issues in your marriage, issues with your kids. What if you began to see one of your primary modes of leadership not to be by, by railing on people, by convincing people with your amazing rhetoric and all your amazing words, or your amazing uh, natural leadership, but what if you saw one of your primary methods of leadership to be on your knees in intercession, standing in the gap for the, for the issues that you face? What if? 
I believe the early church saw that. That's why they were always on their knees, and that's why Paul could even pray that prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 that we prayed. He's constantly on his knees, crying out on behalf. And he was a part of planting hundreds of churches across the known world. More fruitfulness than many of us have ever seen with our eyes. And it was forged through the, the way of prayer. So that's my challenge to you this week. When you are facing an obstacle, situation, an issue, just, just allow your first response to be getting on your knees, offering it to the Lord. You don't have to then dedicate an hour in prayer, but just say, God, you said ask. Lord, you said seek. You said knock. So this is me. I'm asking. I'm seeking. I'm knocking. You're, you're going to answer a prayer, the simple prayer of faith. Just do that this week. I challenge you. A couple months ago, um, our, our worship director, Paige McGovern, had the idea of helping uh, spark this culture of prayer in our church by starting midweek prayer. And it's been a, an amazing atmosphere on Wednesdays from noon to one right here in the sanctuary as we began to open up this place for more uh, corporate prayer gatherings. As, we, as we, we can pray individually, sometimes she has certain direction on themes. Other times people come with needs and we gather around them in prayer. But it's amazing to see the atmosphere of faith that changes when we actually set aside the time to seek God in prayer. The second aspect of our leadership, though, is not only in prayer. There is, a, there is an inherent authority that you and I carry when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, yes, Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, God of the universe comes to live inside of you. And so with that, you begin to carry an authority in the kingdom of God. And it's not an authority of this world. It's not lording it over people. It's an authority that no one can take, it's irrevocable, no one can take it from you. So you don't have to try to prove it to other people. It simply is. You see it in the life of Jesus time and time again. The religious leaders, what did they say about Jesus? They said, what is this authority that he teaches with? He didn't have a title. People call him all sorts of things, teacher and rabbi and prophet. Some called him Messiah and king. But that was, that was not a formal title. People just recognized the authority that he carried. You see it in the life of Joseph. Joseph could be you know, the, the scum of the earth in a prison cell, or he could be second in command, but his identity in God was irrevocable. He was going to be a person of influence wherever God had him. And that's what we carry as kingdom people, as the Jesus Church. The Jesus Church, we're called to, to walk in a certain authority, a God-given authority in whatever our context. If you're a line worker in a factory, if you're serving burgers at McDonald's, if you're a CEO of a company, God calls you to walk in a certain God-given authority to be light and salt in those places. People recognized that in Paul. See, the slave girl, they recognized it in Paul and Silas and Luke and their companions. There was something about the way they, they lived their lives that caught the eye of this slave girl. She just had to follow them around. And she was declaring truth about who they were and the God they served, even though she was possessed by some demonic spirit. It blows my mind, but the world recognizes the authority that we carry as kingdom people, as Jesus Church. And Paul knew the authority he had, because finally, I don't know how, how, how that word gets translated, translated exactly, but it's so peculiar to me that Paul gets annoyed by this girl. He's like, well, what are you doing? And then he just commands the spirit to get out of her. He gets annoyed, and, and the authority that he has, God-given authority, Jesus said he, he sent them out proclaiming the kingdom of heaven in the name of Jesus. That's what we have, that same authority. 
He turned around, commanded the spirit to go, and the spirit had to go. We have that authority to overcome opposition and the enemy in a moment. In line with that, I recall the story of the campus ministry actually at the University of Northern Iowa. Ten years ago, ten years ago, there was a lady, part of the janitorial staff at the University of Northern Iowa, that began to realize that God was placing her on the campus to be a person of influence. Her name is Judy. And Judy, as she's cleaning toilets, emptying garbages, she's just praying over the campus and claiming it for his glory. Beginning, beginning to intercede that God would move on that campus. Two years passed, and she came into contact with, with a church, or it was her church, but it came into contact with, with a gentleman that was trying to pioneer Chi Alphas across our state. And for her, she saw it as a divine appointment, as a, as a God connection. And this lady, Judy Hammer, part of the janitorial staff at UNI, began, be, became one of the primary contacts for initiating and pioneering the campus ministry at Chi Alpha. Well, now there's over 100 students that gather every single week proclaiming the name of Jesus. Missionaries have moved there to, to minister on that campus. But we trace that, the spiritual heritage all the way back to a humble lady that was willing to not overlook her position of leadership in the kingdom of God. God placed her there, and she's still on that campus, rocking it for Jesus in her sphere of influence. And I love it. So you are not a victim to your position or your place in life or your season of life or your age or whatever. God's calling you to lead because you're part of the Jesus church. So let's keep reading. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, this is verse 19, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowds joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this, which is funny, they just beat them, and they said, keep keep them safely here. (laughs) Having, Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, and they fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's boss, bonds were unfastened. We'll stop right there because I want us to, to just focus on the persevering church. The church that is, yes, misunderstood and uh, honestly uh, wrongly accused here. They, they carried out an act of compassion upon a woman, or a, this slave girl, we're not sure of her age, this slave girl who was possessed by a spirit. They set her free in the name of Jesus, and now they're being punished for it. But yet they're not victims still. They're still not victims. Instead, they persevere in the place of prayer. They, they, they declare who God is by singing hymns in this inner prison. They're beaten. And I think it's so peculiar that, that they saw them as, as such a uh, threat that they even put them in stocks around their feet. I mean, this is in, the, in the inner prison, this is like intense security for, a, for two non, non-violent perpetrators. But I want us as a church, as the Jesus Church, to recognize that we persevere 
by recognizing opposition as opposition to God's best. And simply call it like it is. God is actually calling us into a season where we'll say, say it like it is. We won't beat around the bush. We are in the midst of a battle. We are in the midst of a battle, taking on the enemy's territory. And so it is fitting that there will be opposition, that there will be trials and difficulties that will come. Time and time again, as people encounter Christ, they surrender their lives to Christ, give it a couple weeks and months, and eventually they'll come and talk with me and talk about how life hasn't been so easy the last couple weeks or months. Maybe they've been rejected by their family or, or they, they didn't sense the same emotions that they did at first or, or they've come up against certain financial difficulties or whatever it is. And they're, they're asking the question, why, why? I don't have, have answers to the, the questions why, except for that I know there's an enemy who, who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, who seeks to do anything to detract you and dissuade you from the decisions you've made. It's, it's, it's understandable that there, would be a, that there would be an enemy that wants to dissuade you from God's best. And I, I just pray that we would step into a season of authority, calling it like it is. Don't put it on God. You don't have to try to be a philosopher or a theologian. Put it on the enemy. And if, if, if you can't rightfully put it all on the enemy, I mean, we live in a sinful world. Some of it is just our sinful flesh. But call like it is. Don't put it on God. You don't have to raise your fist at God and say, why God? It could very well be either the enemy explicitly or our own sinful ways. Call like it is. Instead of getting into the spiral, downward spiral of trying to put the blame game on God and question everything that, that has come before you, let's call like it is. And we persevere by recognizing that clear delineation. Jesus fully equipped us, John 10.10. 10. He gave us the black and white line. He said, here's the will of the enemies, to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's my will. My will is to give life and life more abundantly. So you can clearly discern in your life what is God's best and what is not. And so when opposition arises, difficulties arise, you can, you can know it's not God's best. It doesn't mean you're exempt from walking through it, but you're called to persevere through it. You're called to, to forge a path forward. To be unstoppable. The Jesus church is unstoppable. Anything worth contending for, is, it could be difficult. Jesus gives us the, myth, the mission The mission in uh, Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And he links that to a promise. He says, but I'm going to be with you, even to the ends of the age. He does that. He gives us a promise of his presence because he knows the mission's big. And he knows the enemy is not just going to bow, bow over, you know, Move out of the way. No, there, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be difficulty. We're called to persevere. Just love the response of Paul and Silas. As they're in pain, they don't even talk about how they're licking their own wounds, you know, how they're trying to, to endure the physical pain that they had endured. Instead, they began to declare who God is. They began to pray and sing praises so loudly that all the other prisoners can hear. What if that would be our response? to hurdles and difficulties. Twenty seventeen, one of my favorite books I read became became my theme book for last year. It's a book called The Obstacle The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, which is a secular book. It's not a Christian book, but 
the message of the book is profound, and it began it became one of my um, my themes over my life for the year. That I wanted to see opposition and obstacles in my way, you know, not as uh, impediments, as uh, meaning I'm supposed to stop here and, and change directions. Instead, as seen as an indication that I'm going in the right direction. It's an invitation to persevere through and to push through. That there must be something really, really great on the other side that the enemy doesn't want me to get to. It became an invitation to persevere. At the beginning of that book, though, he tells this parable about a king in a far-off land who began to realize that his, his, the people in his kingdom were, were growing to be a little lazy and entitled. So he put him to the test, and in the middle of the, the main thoroughfare in the town, he put this large stone. And then he sat off in the bushes and he watched. And one by one, people from the, from the kingdom, they'd come to it and they'd be like, oh, wow. So they'd, they'd walk way off the path, they'd walk around it. Or some would, would come and they began to push on the rock and, and to no avail, so they'd give up, discouraged, and they'd, they'd walk around it. And this happened day after day until one lonely little peasant came. He, think, he thought a little differently. He walked off, he grabbed a big stick, and he, he used it as a lever and he moved this stone and under the stone, the king had left a, a pot of money and a little inscription which simply said, the obstacle in the path becomes the path. There was a reward for persevering. And so often believers miss out on the reward because we give up. We, we, we see the impediment, the obstacle, as an indication that we should just stop. Yeah, you're right. This has gotten really tough. Jesus said, count the cost. Pick up your cross. Let's, let's push through. So I can tell you as the Jesus church, even as we, as we get geared, more geared up for the mission before us in our city and across the world, I can tell you there will be opposition. It's not going to be all uh, clear skies and roses. There's going to be difficulties before us. But the obstacle in the path becomes the path. There, there is a reward there in front of us. Let's push through. And the, and the Jesus church saw that. Paul and Silas, they realized that. Wow, we, we must be pushing into something pretty good here because the enemy is, is rearing his face. You know, this, uh, you know how the tables have turned. Paul, just decades earlier, was, was the, the primary force pushing this persecution against the early church. Now here he is in stocks and being beaten. The tables had turned, but, but he didn't see it you know, in a, in a, through a lens of woe is me. I'm a victim. Instead, he said, I must be going after the right thing. Let's, let's push through. Let's keep reading. Let's just finish this, this story. He says, when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But, but, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And, the trem and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. <laughs> wow. What a peculiar story. That the, literally the doors of, the, of the, the gates of the prison had been opened. And they had the, the wherewithal, the kingdom um, uh, frame of mind 
to see the heart of God for this jailer instead of their own backs. They'd just been beaten. It could very well be they'd get beaten again. They'd end up right back where they were. But they didn't see the earthquake and them getting free as their, their easy ticket out. Instead, they, they stopped and said, no, we're all here. We're not, we're not going anywhere. Let's, let, I want you to know about this, this God that we've encountered. This, this man ends up not killing himself and his entire household comes to know Christ. That is the innovation of the church. It's, it's, it's a ability to see things differently. So the Jesus Church, the Unstoppable Church, innovates by dwelling on the question, what if instead of why? What if instead of why? What would happen if we actually believed the promises of God instead of the why of philosophically trying to understand why things happen? And they were, so in, in, in asking that question, what if versus why in this context, he was able to see uh, the jailer as a human being that needed to encounter the love of God. Instead of that question, why, which is always, which is always self-serving. Our minds, our curiosities always go to the question, why, because we want, we want to somehow soothe our, um, our busy minds to try to figure out life, why circumstances and, and bad situations happen to us, or why good things happen to us. But it's never fruitful. That question, what if, always gets us locked in with the heart of God. What would happen if the love of God was here present in this situation? All the love of God would stop and love this man where he's at. The the love of God would stop and draw this man away from the cliff and, and be able to bring peace into a situation. That's what the Jesus Church does. The Jesus Church is able to use oppositions, hurdles, attacks as opportunities to move the kingdom forward for the glory of God. So I want us to be a church that dreams. A church that sees new territories as as not too far off, that God is calling us to those places. Things that are so um, consumed by darkness, consumed by the enemy, that we would see that as an invitation for for the places that God wants to call us to. I just think back over the last 300 years of foreign missions, what we know currently of a church globally that sends missionaries to other countries to take on the culture and to to learn the people and the language and contextualize the gospel, that was a foreign concept more than 300 years ago. Until the, the, the giants of the faith that many of us revere today, the men and women like David Brainerd, who only lived to the age of 29, missionary to the Native Americans, This man had the the innovation of the Jesus Church. He saw himself as an unstoppable force in light of the the fuller context of the Church of Jesus Christ, that he was willing to give his life in the unfruitful years of amongst the Native Americans. And now still to this day, we're all reading his words and we're, we're talking about the work, the ground that he tread for the glory of God. That's the innovation of the church. We look at areas untapped by the gospel, untouched by the gospel, and we ask, what if? Think of William Carey, the pioneer missionary to India, who didn't see a single convert to Christianity for seven years. He was able to look at things differently. Everyone else was asking, why? Why the resources? Why, the, like, why are we investing this? Why is this guy giving his life there? Why is he dragging his family there? That's the question of why. It's always self-serving. When we ask the question, what if, 
<laughs> it's empowered by, the, by, the, by heaven itself. It's empowered by a God who does the impossible. And I think the same with Hudson Taylor, who was able to see the, the massive country of China and say, what if? What if God reached millions of souls in China? David Livingston, who became one of the greatest scientific minds of his age, but also a great force for the kingdom of God in Africa. And so many others that I could go on. But that whole concept of foreign missions, it was a foreign concept, no pun intended. It really was, more than 300 years ago. But the church was willing to innovate and think creatively at the mission of God and how God had positioned them in their day and age. And I would say, what if for us? We are not victims to our size, to our resources, to us being in Iowa. What if? What if God had something for us? It was more than we could even ask or imagine. What if God was calling us to innovate? I want us to dream. And innovation is simply the ability to see things from a different perspective. What others from the outside would say, this is what's logical for this people, for, for this church, for you over your life. Through kingdom eyes, through the lens of the Jesus church, we're able to see things from a different perspective. And we ask the question, what if? This week during uh, midweek prayer, the Lord brought me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, which I've quoted pretty much every week in this series, The Jesus Church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus turns to Peter and says, you are Peter. I'm sure he knew his name, but he changed his name to Peter. He said, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He, he tells him that. He gives him that paradigm. The gates of hell will not prevail against this church. I'm going to establish my church. But during prayer this week, I had this thought. that is, there, is it possible that the enemy potentially turned the tables on us and convinced us that we're the ones behind the gates? <laughs> and it's the enemy, you know, constantly beating on the, the, uh, the outward edges of the kingdom of God, beating at our gates, trying to, to beat down the gates of the kingdom of God? Has, has the enemy convinced us of that? That we are the prisoners, <laughs> that we're the ones held captive? That's not the paradigm that Jesus set in motion. No, he's on the run. The enemy has territories he's trying to defend. We're on the offensive. We're going for it. Don't let don't let the enemy convince you otherwise. You are not a prisoner. You are not a victim. You are not trying to fend off the enemy. He's trying to keep you from realizing that he has territory that you can easily take for the kingdom and the glory of God. I hope you get it. I hope you understand that. I hope you can catch that. Which reminded me then of C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters. There's a moment in this book, which I just highly recommend any and all of you reading that book, The Screw Tape Letters, became one of the classics of the 20th century. But in this, this book, it's a, a depiction of two demons, um, one mentoring his nephew. And so in the, and there's these letters back and forth between these two demons, kind of pulling the veil on the tactics of the enemy. That's the whole concept of the book. There's one moment in this book where the uncle is, is talking about what they call the, their patient, this the person that they're, they're assigned to on the earth. And he says there's this point where they've kind of reached the point of no return. They, they can realize that they're going to go after Jesus. They're going to serve the kingdom of God. 
He says, for a long time, it will be quite impossible to remove spirituality from his life. Very, that, very well, then, we must corrupt it. So as soon as the enemy realizes that, okay, you're probably going to go after the kingdom of God, you're probably going to move forward in following Jesus, his, his mission number two is to corrupt that faith, corrupt your, your um, resolve to go after the fullness of the kingdom of God. And so C.S. Lewis profoundly goes after that or brings that to life by, by uh, revealing the tactics of the enemy of materialism and legalism and um, church consumerism, all those all those distractions that fly out, fly at us as followers of Jesus Christ. What if the enemy has convinced us otherwise? I'm going to invite um, Brandy Schleisman forward. Actually, I'm going to end with this: God has called us to innovate, to dream, to ask the question, "What if?" And Brandy has um, been a part of this church, and I'm just so excited that. She's a part of this church, and now hearing her story, it's been so exciting and inspiring. And I want her story to spark in our hearts this question of what if. What if we looked at situations and asked, what would it look like if the church of Jesus Christ moved forward and took these territories for the kingdom of God? So Brandy uh, works for, she's a program director for a ministry called Wings of Refuge. And Wings of Refuge is, is a ministry that um, reaches out to women coming out of uh, human sex trafficking. And they're doing a phenomenal work. And they're situated in little old Iowa Falls. That's right. Iowa Falls, Iowa. They could have easily been convinced that they were prisoners to their geographical location. How could they ever play a role in, in, in reaching into this territory of the enemy? But they, they weren't victim to their uh, situation, their circumstances, and they've had the faith to contend for something different. And so I wanted Brandy to do two things. I wanted her to share a little bit um, pull the veil on what the enemy has been doing in the area of human trafficking, because uh, I think it's very uh, eye-opening for so many of us what happens uh, beyond uh, what we see uh, outwardly. And then secondly, I would love for her to share a little bit of her story of how she had the faith to start this ministry, Wings of Refuge, So I'm praying it'll inspire you. Awesome. Well, like Pastor Drew said, I'm Brandy, and this is going to be a really quick snapshot, but um, I was first awakened to the issue of human trafficking about 11 years ago for a speech that I was doing, and I think like a lot of people, I thought that that was something that, you know, only happens in third world countries, but I quickly found out that human trafficking happens in our nation, it happens in our state, it happens in our cities. There are over 27 million slaves in the world today, which is more than at any other point in history. And this whole issue is fueled by the principle of supply and demand. So if there wasn't a demand, there would be no need for the supply. It has become the largest global organized crime, generating a profit over $150 billion a year and just to give you a picture of that, that's more than Google, Amazon, and eBay, their annual profits combined. So it's a huge issue and it's happening everywhere. Unfortunately, Iowa is a hub for human trafficking because we have Interstate 80 and Interstate 35 that intersect in the middle of our state. So it's an issue that happens right here and bigger cities, cities with college campuses are all very susceptible to trafficking. So 
When I learned all of this, my heart was burdened, and at the same time, a dream was awakened within me to share the love that God has given me with those who have survived this horrible injustice. Uh, I went on to do two years of discipleship training through Master's Commission, and then went into missionary training in Trinidad, and I was convinced that God was going to open the door for me to serve in a restoration home overseas, but I was wrong. <laughs> so I came back home to Iowa Falls, Iowa, about 5,000 people, and I was informed that there was a documentary on human trafficking that was going to be played in our local theater. So I attended this showing, and there was a sign-up sheet in the lobby for anyone who wanted to get more involved to do something about this injustice. So what happened next is truly the work of God. Um, there was 12 of us on that sheet. We began meeting faithfully, and we just began praying and seeking God for his direction. What was he calling us to do? Because we're not okay with this. We're not okay with 20 million seven million slaves in the world. So we just prayed and we seeked and we realized that in the U.S. alone, there are 300,000 minors who are trafficked every year, but there were only 629 beds available for those survivors. So we felt the call to restoration. There was a big hole, and we continued to pray and to seek God, and we did a lot of research, a lot of training. We got our nonprofit status to be a long-term restoration home, for adult women survivors of sex trafficking. And in March of 2014, we welcomed our first participant. I became the first staff member, not really knowing what I was doing, but um, I'm very thankful that God, this is his mission and this is his deal. We're along for the ride and we follow in obedience. So today we've served, I think, 16 survivors in our home. So we've had the opportunity, you know, a front row seat to watch healing and restoration happen every single day. And it can be so easy to get overwhelmed by 27 million slaves in the world. How can I make a difference in that? But it's really taking that narrower look and seeing the one in front of you. And that's where the difference is made. When we speak into the one, when we invest in the one, we go after the one. Jesus left the 99 to find the one. So that's what we do at Wings of Refuge. That's my heart's passion is to just share the love that he's given me with everyone. And it's an honor to see the healing and the restoration that happens every single day by choosing to follow him and just praying and seeking him and being led by the Spirit. Their story just continues to evolve. They're, they're exploring the, the possibilities of moving ministry here to Ames, which would be a phenomenal strategic gift for our city with the campus being here. There's just so much that goes on um, under what any, any of, of what the church sees. And, and I believe we have a solution uh, as the, the church of Jesus Christ. And so we're just so excited. We're going to continue to pray and we're in conversations actually in meetings uh, with Wings of Refuge to see how we can partner. What, with their move to Ames um, strategically. God is calling you to lead, to persevere, and to innovate. In your context, in your severe, it's all of us together as the body of Christ. So if you just close your eyes, 
and bow your heads for a moment. I do want us to respond, and I want you to ask the question, what is the prison that I've been convinced that I am confined to? Maybe it's your season of life, maybe it's your geographic location, maybe it's your education, educational background, maybe it's your job, maybe you feel like you are prisoner to your cubicle or your job. Maybe it's your giftings. Think about that prison that you feel like you are in. But now put yourself in the shoes of Paul and Silas. They they didn't see themselves as victim to their prison. They were able to see that God wanted to do something so far beyond that. They just asked the question, what if? God ended up transforming lives through their faith in the midst of their own difficulties. God wants to use you to lead, to persevere, to innovate. I'm gonna have the worship team just leading this song, God, I look to you, and I'll come up and close in just one minute. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.